Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined this year as I'm joined last year and the years before that. Now our sixth year of the One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined with the one and only, the, the nefarious, the wondrous, the concerning, the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you think nefarious means honest, humble, and all-around decent guy? Yeah, well, you're, you are both uh, nefarious and infamous, Jason Johnston Yellen. I think I just complimented you. You know, nefarious has nothing to do with fairies. It's not the ne of fairiness. Oh, I thought it was like new fairies. It's kind of like like a Nubian, right? Like New Morrissey. Like New Morrissey? Is there a new? We need New Morrissey. He's in trouble, Jason, from being a racist. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really upset by this. Apparently, he's be, maybe not become, but apparently he's he's come out as being kind of racist, nationalistic, kind of. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. The the Pope Do you think of you might Mope. change your middle name. I may. I may have to change it to Joshua Johnny Marr Hatton. Oh. Right. He's the anti Johnny Marr the other day. What's that? Johnny Marr means something in a non-English language. If you just pronounce the word Johnny Marr, it means something in another language. Really? No, it doesn't. Johnny Marr. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the. Ninth episode of the S series of QI for any listeners who are QI huh. fans. QI. Yeah, it was on. It was on that episode. I won't spoil it. I won't. Okay, I won't yeah, give yeah. the answer just yeah. in case you see that episode. I don't want to give too much away. I also can't remember. But um, I'm I'm nefarious, and yet I also keep secrets. <laughs> Not nefarious secrets. Let's not go down that path. <laughs> So listen, 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 listen. We have an absolutely phenomenal season six opener with David Ferguson and John Campbell. Did I mention John Campbell? Uh, of the Loch Lee Distillery. I'm very excited to speak with these two. But but listen, Jason, I've got I've got a question for you that I wanted to not only kick off the episode with, but kick the season off with. Mm-hmm. And kick 2022 off with, right? I mean, it's, it is it is early doors for 2022. And so my question for you is, in a way, a question that we pose to all of our guests. Mm. What are you looking forward to in season six of One Nation Under Whiskey? What has you excited? What potentials has you excited for this season? I am excited to potentially, okay. and I, th- I think at this point it's more than potentially, but we're still sitting here in the early part of the year, but potentially putting microphones in front of people's faces again. I think there's You're a not very even press real... record. You just put the microphones in front of their faces. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now, sir? Miss? For two years I've been putting microphones in front of the faces of my kids and they are getting sick of it. They want me to leave the house. Mm-hmm. Go outside, Dad. Even if you just go to the supermarket, put that microphone in someone else's face. So, so that's... Sir, I'm just trying to ring you out. I'm just trying to ring you out. Get that. Sorry, continue, please. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would you like stamps with that? No, could you do that again this time into the microphone, please? <laughs> it was a bit more feeling. You sounded like you were reading. Yeah. Getting a lot of feedback on your recording here. Um, so, so yes. Yeah, so, so the in-person, I think, will be really big. One of the things we are working on with our dear Jess is Jess getting out into the field mm. and putting mm-hmm. some... Uh, interviews and recordings together and I think that could be really wonderful and part of it for me is we've spent as you as you say five full seasons being the interviewers of record and one of the things you and I have said on previous episodes is when one or the other of us is either asking a question or or heading out and having a chitty chatty Mm we invariably ask something the other one isn't thinking of. Correct. But in five years of interviews, we kind of know one another's patterns. <laughs> and, I, and I've certainly said to you, there are times when I've conducted a solo interview where I've thought, what would Joshua ask in this mm. moment? Yeah. What would he want to know from this person? So getting a chance to hear Jess ask questions. I'm really curious to learn more about her perspective. Yeah. The way she thinks about the larger whiskey world and how she draws that out of an interview. So I, I think that's going to be really fascinating. I'm I'm excited for, for those moments. And then uh, continuing to to speak to a, a diverse array of individuals. I know that we you know, within our industry, we lean heavily towards white men. Mm-hmm. That's that's the bulk. And if you go out to talk to a whiskey legend, nine times out of ten, you're going to get a, a white guy who's yep. been in the industry for decades upon decades upon decades. But we also keep our eyes peeled at all times for other potential interviews. And one that I'm very excited for in the early stages of season six is someone who Michael Nolan said to us, hey, when are you going to interview this person? (laughs) And we said, well, that person hasn't really had a lot of interest in being interviewed for the podcast, (laughs) but we're getting closer Mm -hmm. to getting something on wax with her and I'm not going to give the name I'm going to leave this as a as a light tease for season six but I'm very excited to talk to that person because they're responsible for a part of the process that I feel like I know nothing about and and have no skill set for or towards yeah yeah Uh, uh, agreed with that yeah good I'm obviously talking about cask selection (laughs) <laughs> I cannot believe you did not pick that low-hanging fruit You know, I be, here's the reason why, Jason Because as you know, I only half listen to, to what you say And I was busy thinking of what I'm looking forward to I can't believe you went as high as 50% I'm amazed you went as high I, If you'd said 25%, I would have been like Yeah, that's a ballpark number And, and so... Well, I now did that it for you've proof. set, I did it for proof. <laughs> <laughs> I doubled it. Now that you've set the witness, um, and Joshua, the same question to you. Yes, similar. 
you know, we have <laughs> we have trips. We've got trips planned. We're we're even planning trips overseas, which has me excited. You know, I was very lucky. We were both very lucky that we got to we got to go to Scotland in early 2020. So at least we can mm-hmm. say we went out of the country in the worst year in in modern history globally speaking. But then 2021 had zero out of the country. This is the first time in 11 almost 12 years I've not traveled to Scotland and and it's been like a knife wound like it just I I feel slightly empty for not having been there. It really is such a part of my existence of when's that next trip coming. It really is it's like going home again and, and visiting some of these distilleries, getting to see we know every time we go to Scotland we're going to see Ian Allen right? We're going to go up to Elgin. We're going to yep. go down to Campbelltown to visit Mark and Kate Watt, right? And if we can get to mm-hmm. to um, Thornhill, visit with, with Dawn and David Sturk. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see Kirsty McCallum again. I want to I want to visit Stephanie, Stephanie McLeod, who's invited us in oh, her blending room, so. you know? I mean, there's so very many people so. that I that I want to visit with and want to talk with, and it's only going to happen when we get out to Scotland. So I'm excited for that. You know, you and I had an interview just a, just a day ago, I think, when we had some bourbon producers on. I'm not going to release the name now, but we had some bourbon producers on. And through the course... Bourbon and rye. There you go. Bourbon and rye. And through the course of the conversation, and, and we preempted the conversation with this, that we come to a whiskey talk, a whiskey production talk from the place of Scotch whiskey production. So when we talk bourbon, when we talk rye, it's always from that perspective. But because we're living that life day in, day out, finishing the conversation with these two gentlemen only proved to me that I have a lot to learn when it comes to bourbon production. And I think back to our conversation with Steve Maggery of Beanley Distillery. There's so much that that I need to learn about rum production. And so for me personally, I want to use this year to not just interview people to interview people so we can say, hey, we've spoken with this guy, we spoke with this woman, we spoke yeah. with these people. No, that, that's not our style. It's not our style, but I just want to make sure that I'm... <laughs> that I'm not pulling a, a Joshua when he's talking to Jason and I'm using more than 25% of my paying attention abilities and really try to absorb some of these production methods that I should have down in my head more. And and I know I brought this up to you the other day and you're like, ah, I think you're okay, it's okay. And I, no, I, I really feel like I'm lacking. So I want I want to use this year to improve my own education of spirits production beyond malt whiskey. There you go. Those are my goals, Jason. That's what I'm looking forward to. Speaking of malt whiskey. All right. It's during our intro. Yes. We've been having a little sip on on a bottle that you obviously knew was coming into the country, and Mm -hmm. I didn't, but you said to me, you have to get one of these. Have to. And then you 
then you assisted me, and I thank you for that. And Michael Nolan mentioned earlier, he assisted also. Thank yes, you, Michael. But this is a 100% Isla Kilhoman PX Sherry single cask bottled by our very dear friend Jean bottled at for Warehouse Liquors. <laughs> We've been fighting this for decades, Jason. You just said bottled by. We're the bottled for. We're the bottled by. He's the bottled. Anyway. Yeah. So, so here's the hash here's the hashtag real talk. I already finished my first dram of this during <laughs> oh, the first fifteen see, minutes of recording. That's why you're having problems with the words. There you go. <laughs> but um date filled is the twenty-seventh of May two thousand fifteen, and the date bottled is the twenty-seventh of May twenty twenty-one. So a full six years in cask there. And you said to me, You're gonna like the way you drink this. And phew, it's it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's liquid. dangerous, isn't it? Right. The I think the PX maturation obviously brings the sweetness through, but somehow the the lighter peating element of the 100% Isla, right? Because regular Kilhoman is 50 ppm, 50 phenolic parts per million on the barley, mm -hmm. and this is about 20, 20 to 25. I think they, they really run the numbers. They used to say 15 to 20, then they say 20 to 25. So it's in that range. But that PX sherry sweetness seems to somehow highlight the PD element of this. So it seems to be a touch more peated, at least to my palate, than, than regular 100% Isla bottlings. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because it puts me in mind of... of Bill Thomas at Jack Rose picked a couple of, of Colhomans that were the lower peating Colhomans. Mm. And one was bourbon and one was sherry. And they were both absolutely cracking. When I when I bought them from him and I got them home and popped the corks, I texted him and said, These are two of the best Colhomans I've had. These are remarkable, and I didn't expect to like a lightly peated Kilhoman mm -hmm. as much as I did. And I think everything you've just said, which I listened to carefully, diligently, and 100%, was the lower PPM and the sweetness of the PX really heightens the experience. It really so, does, yeah. Yeah, you, you you picked this one, man. That was, uh, I, I, and, I, and by that I mean you picked this for me. You absolutely uh, nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. 57.4% alcohol. Anybody in the U.S., uh, I don't even know if this is still in stock at Warehouse Liquors. It is. Yeah, no, it, it okay. is. He still has a few okay. left. But, you know, it's, it's Warehouse Liquors, and whether it's the bourbon that they select or the Scotch whiskey that they select, it moves pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. This is one of the more remarkable Kilhomans I've had. And, and I told you, I told our listeners, either in 2021 or in 2020, you know, the Madeira cask finish single cask for, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. Warehouse is the best Kilhoman single cask I've ever had for my palate. I just think mm -hmm. it ticks every single box they could ever want. 
So it's exemplary. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, yeah, and and this this is up to that standard. It just it's it's so great. Um, listen, I'm yeah. gonna I'm going to give the listeners a peek behind the curtain, All right. and then I'm going to deliver a pro level transition. I there's something I need to say before you deliver the pro level transition. Can I say it? Should I? Maybe you should, and then I'll give the peek behind the curtain, and then go into my pro level. Moment. So, I failed big time when I mentioned. Checks out <laughs> with you, hundred <laughs> percent. Two failed, thumbs way up. Uh, yeah, way up your arse. I failed big time when I was listing off the names of people that I was so excited to see when we got to Scotland. And the two people that I'm so desperate to see more than anyone else is our <laughs> beloved Jess and our beloved Swede Scott. And when we get to Glasgow, I'm going to hug the ever-living shit out of them, and I'm not going to let go, and I won't let them let go. Jason, it, we haven't seen, we haven't hugged them. We haven't shared a physical dram with them in two years. What I love about your list making and you do it all the the time time. i know i know it's a failing is your lists are always incomplete (laughs) always and i don't know why you return to list making this is how i do it always set you up for failure always and now here you are groveling to sweet scott and jess i'm not groveling to them i'm correcting my errors jason (laughs) Groveling. If they could see you on the ground right now, falling at their virtual feet. Can't believe you made a list. Can't believe you made a list. Peek behind the curtain. All right. You and I, as we started the recording, had said, okay, what what are we going to pour? And we had just had some of our Catoctin Creek single cask finished in a Colhoman PX, Sherry, yeah. Hoggy. And you had said, why don't we do the Warehouse Liquors PX Kilhoman? And it made so much sense that without giving you any pushback at all, mm. which I think you will attest is very unlike me. <laughs> it's I went straight to my this shelf. This is how you do it. <laughs> I went straight to my shelf and I poured it. Yeah. So, so that's how this exact Kilhoman came to be in the glass. Now with Kilhoman in the air, there is a gentleman Mm. who was instrumental in getting Kilhoman off the ground. We've obviously talked many times about Anthony Wills, obviously talked about Dr. Jim Swan. Malcolm Rennie Mm. was a man at the distillery. Pro, a little louder for those in the Fucking back. pro level. Oh my Thank gosh. you very much. Oh my gosh. Thank you very much. You you do you. Malcolm, Continue doing you. Malcolm Rennie then left Kilhoman, went off to Annandale, south of Scotland. Remarkable distillery. Well worth getting to. Oh, well yeah. worth Gorgeous. visiting. Lovely, lovely spirit running yep. in those stills. Yep. And actually spent time visiting with Malcolm Rennie at Annandale. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a great little chat with him. He then moved on and made his way to Loch Lee Distillery in my home county 
of Ayrshire. And Malcolm Rennie just left Lochlee to go to Rosebank, leaving an opening that was resoundingly filled by one John Campbell from Lefroig, the co-focus of today's episode, the premiere episode of season six. See, this is this is why they pay the big bucks, Jason. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So David Ferguson, John Campbell, thank you both so much for joining us. Um, Lockley Distillery is is one that, you know, I recently found out about. I want to say Jason and I, well, I don't know about Jason, but I found out about Lockley sometime early last year, a bit late to the game, if I'm being honest. And it was only after doing some research on the Falkirk Distillery. And I said, who else is building in the lowlands, right? And then, uh, and then lo and behold, a few months later, I received a sample or two samples from Sam Filmus of Impex Beverages. I said, Loch Lee on it. And then he sends me an email. I said, I hope you received the Loch Lee samples. Um, give them a taste, give them a go. Let, let me know what you think. And I tasted them and they, they were just, I don't think they were, th- well, the whiskey wasn't three years yet, but it was just lovely for two, two and a half year old spirit. And you could see the direction it was going in to which I said, these guys have something that's kind of cool. And, and then of course, Sam says, well, we're in discussions with these guys. And I said, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then come September time, we had our national sales meeting, September 2021. And there was this rumor that, that someone with the last name that started with a C may be joining the distiller. I said, oof, that's interesting as well. What's happening here? And lo and behold, here we are now uh, with you, David, and with you, John, to, to discuss Lockley Distillery. And so, gents, if, if you wouldn't mind, and maybe I'll hand it off to you first, David, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of the, uh, the history of Loch Lee, um, where the idea started, the idea for a lowland distillery. Um, I'd really like to hear it because I think there's a lot of people that, like me, are late to the game uh, in understanding who Loch Lee is and what you guys are aiming to do. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, th- first of all, thank you very much for having us on. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, the the idea or the the planning for this all started way before John and I were <laughs> were involved. So, uh, I think twenty fourteen, the owner who um, who owns the farm had had this this idea that he could build a distillery, and from then until literally. Um, well, earlier this week, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we 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 didn't have any whiskey to to sell yet. So it's been a, from his perspective, been a long journey. Um, but yeah, we're independent, family owned. We do everything, vast majority of things on site. We grow our own barley, which is pretty unusual in the industry to have yeah. control even at that stage. You know, the guys talk about five. Um, five stages making whiskey. They never talk about growing the barley. That's that never comes <laughs> in before um, on the tour. So we, we've 
we've got traceability with with everything, um, just naturally because we're a working farm. Um, so that yeah, they, you're you're right in what you say. No one really knew about us about Lochley until very until last year. Yeah, and um, and and partly, I mean, to be honest, by by choice, um, Neil had uh, some guys in production. He is is actually quite a shy guy when you meet him. He's not you. He's not. Uh, you wouldn't expect um, some people in the whiskey industry are quite loud and uh, it, we're we're not like that as a business and he's he's not like that personality wise so i think it was just kind of low-key get on with um producing the best spirit that we can and when the time's right we'll we'll tell people look we've we've got whiskey coming so when i joined the business um just over a year ago that that was my kind of remit was let's let people know that we have whiskey coming soon um, yeah. Which is why I was then speaking to your your colleague uh, Sam and, and people <laughs> to make sure that once we had that uh, first bottling ready, that, that it had a place to go. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I saw. You know, when Sam sent me the samples, I then checked out the website, dug a little deeper, and I saw that Malcolm Rennie was was on there for a while. Is he still on the team? I you know, is an interesting name popping up because I think he was with Kilhoman when they first started very early on. And of course, you know, that's yeah. that's a, a distillery in the Impex portfolio. Is he still connected? No, so Malcolm was um was yeah, involved in setting the place up. Uh, he is now he's moved to Rosebank and um, to help them restart things. Okay. So we a uh, John we're lucky enough to get John on, on board um at the end of last year, um, so now we have a we have a team in John has a team in production. I've got a team on the commercial side, um, and we're kind of in fact we have another new person joining next week. So we're we're growing exponentially for the size that we are. Um, but even when when I joined, it was literally two you know three three guys making stuff and, and nothing else. We're now up to a team of nine ten. So. Um, yeah, John's very much in charge of all the everything, quality of spirit, and everything else. So, when you say this, the size that we are, what what is that? What is what is your capacity looking like right now? John, you want to answer that? You, you'll have a view <laughs> on what what it is now and what it could be. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's still uh, a small capacity right now. Uh, the potential is there to grow, uh, and it will grow um, over time. And um, I guess we're just we're taking slow steps. It just wants to be, I guess the main thing for Lochley is it's right steps and positive steps. And like, so that's the, that's the main thing we want. We want, um, we want to do everything kind of in the right manner. I think that's very important to all of us who work at the site, that everything's done in the right manner. And it's uh, within our kind of, I guess, remit and control and kind of like, we just, put the, kind of, the best that we can out there and put, always put our best foot forward. So, so in, yeah. in talking about that, John, we're, we're sitting here, we're recording January 27th. You put out your inaugural release on on what we know as Burns Night, but it was obviously Burns Day uh, when you were putting it out there. <laughs> You've got the connection to Burns on the farm where Burns formerly farmed. Yeah. But rather than talking about Burns right now, which I'm always up for, I want to talk about that spirit that 
as you came into this this project, you're clearly examining spirit that you didn't distill. And so when you come to that, what were you first struck by with the spirit? And then what was in your mind as you were thinking about an inaugural release? A good question. Um, I guess there's some of these steps that are already kind of taking place. Um, they had worked, I think, during the summer. It was or maybe April, May time, maybe late spring, uh, to start working on like the inaugural liquid. Um, and, and to be honest, didn't do a huge amount to it. We kind of tweaked it a wee bit at the end, but nothing really. We just kind of went with it. Was it was good liquid, so no need to tweak too much. So <laughs> uh, I'm not I'm not here to get in the road of good whiskey. So um, so yeah, no, no, not a lot. And I guess like so, but moving forward, I guess that one of the things I really wanted to do straight away it helps kind of all of us, me included, to get feet under the table is to understand what Loch Lee meant to everyone. So that's the thing, because that, to me, that's like that's the job, to create that spirit. And uh, mm-hmm. the kind of, the, the guidance of the people who are kind of cradling that brand and making the whiskey. So that's that, that that's all I'm kind of doing, is trying to kind of re- recreate like what the people see as, a, or the, the workforce see as Loch Lee to them. So, so how would you describe the spirit? For 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 someone like myself who mm-hmm. hasn't tasted it at all, Joshua's lucky. He has people on January twenty fifth started tasting it? Uh, how how would you describe it? Yeah, it should be it should be full of flavour, bursting with fruit straight away. Um, lots of kind of fruity flavours coming through. Some nice grassy notes. Kind of really kind of quite a lot of high floral aromatics are going to be coming through as well, and. Um, try, just trying to, I guess the job is to build the depth, kind of moving mm. on. Um, and we're, we're, we're looking at trying to do a couple of different things on that uh, just now. Um, but, like, again, if it's not broke, you don't fix it. Um, so, like, it, it, it's kind of, I guess, just trying to, it's a really, it, it, it's a, it should be approachable but full of depth, I guess, if you're wanting a, a, like a 10-second sell. It's it's going to be really approachable, but just it's going to have, be full and bursting with flavour, a lot of different types of fruits and kind of grassy notes mm. and floral coming through. If I can ask one more follow-up, and then I, I will return the floor to you, Joshua. Sure. But one of the things that and I think I remember this correctly with you, David, where this came up in the Impex Deep Dive, or, or this was the Drinks With this series that that Joshua just con- concluded with Impex. There's this idea of a lowland distillery, and and over the last you know ten fifteen years maybe twenty, the market has wandered away from lowland distilleries and and the region itself drastically shrunk with the number of working distilleries. And, and I, I hope I remember this correctly, David, but when you were on uh, on talking with Joshua, there was this question about would you take ownership of being in the lowland region? And I think your response was, 
Well, we're not really here to represent a region. We're here to put out the very best whiskey we can. Is, is that a fair remembering of what you may have said at two o'clock in the morning, your time? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, that, that, that is correct. I, 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 then, I then felt bad um, a little bit because of the, obviously, Within Impex, I think we, we will be the lowland single moss. So I, I didn't want to, I didn't <laughs> want to go too far the other way, but no, you, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's interesting. I, previous company I worked for had um, had re, kind of regional malt whiskies where you, very much the emphasis was on this is the f- profile that you might expect from a Speyside whiskey, from a Highland, and I, I get that as a you know, as a marketing tool, it's and, and it made sense when the regions were um, created a, a while ago. But for, for us as a distillery, I, the fact that we're in the lowlands is 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 kind of um, inconsequential. It's not. I, I think nowadays, with the type of spirit you can produce wherever you are, I wouldn't see us as trying to particularly fly the flag for low, lowland whiskey. <laughs> I mean, the, the the good thing if if people do still associate us with that region. Um, for me, is that there are some other very good lowland whiskies coming out, so that that hopefully that brings the whole thing up. But um, I, I think if you taste locally, you won't necessarily go, "Oh, that must be a lowland." That that's um, that's not mm. what I get from our spirit at all. Yeah, it, it really feels like the lowland region is is exploding right now, uh, with the number of distilleries that are are now opening within that region and, and it will be interesting I might have had this conversation with with Nick Ravenhall over over at Holyrood but it's it's that question of what can the lowland region become where you know if it has been slowly forgotten or ignored by a consumer how can that come roaring back again and, and tell some fresh stories uh, in that region so uh, I, I quite liked your answer, which is why it's stuck in my brain uh, all these weeks later, because it, it, it did have that sense of, of echoing what John's saying here, which is it's, it's spirit first and region second. So uh, yeah. I'm excited to see what that does. And I will relinquish my time to my, my fellow gentlemen, uh, uh, but I will have further <laughs> questions momentarily. Well, I, I, I like what's being said here where you're you're not leading with lowlands you're leading with flavor. And and then I think of distilleries like Annandale who are doing, you know, some peated malt, right? And it seems everybody's understanding is Speyside is rich and sweet. Highland is austere. Isla is smoky. <laughs> Campbelltown is funky coastal. So is Sky. And Lowland has always been the tame little granny of 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 whiskies and it seems as if you're you're chain are you purposely trying to change that or, or again back to the original point of we're not here to to dictate what is and what is not lowlands we're creating the whiskey that we think is very good when you're creating a liquid you you have to start off with a vision so like the vision is the vision uh, yeah and i think like Neil had a very clear vision of the liquid he wants to create. The people at Lockley have a very clear vision of the liquid that we want to create, and it's, it's quite unanimous the type of liquid that it's that's running through. Can kind of everyone the type of liquid we're trying to create and be 
I think the other side of that is yes, we are in the lowlands, and we there, there's no reason. It's, there's no. I think we should be proud of that too. So like, it's mm. kind of like, it's 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 kind of like me. I'm I'm lots of different layers. I'm from Isla, yes, <laughs> but then I'm Scottish, yep, and then I'm British, yep, and then I'm just a world citizen. So there's lots of I feel lots of things at different times. So I think the most important one for me to be is a good version of John Campbell and I think this is kind of it's a wee bit twee but like Lockley needs to be Lockley and like the vision that the owners created for it and that's our job to try and tell people what that is and how it's going to be and kind of what we're what we're trying to create here and just some of the like the other kind of the great stories kind of coming out the site as well and once people understand it and kind of start to get a feel for what we're doing, I think it'll excite a lot of people. I remember years back, geez, as many years back now, um, having a conversation with John McClellan at Kilhoman. And and it was a couple of years after he had joined the distillery. And I said to him, or I asked him, you know, what is it like coming from Bunahabin and going to Kilhoman? And he said, it was actually a lot easier than you think because Kilhoman is exactly one-tenth the size of Bunahabin. So I just needed to adjust everything based on their production and what I had known the Bunahabin production to be. And so, John, from your perspective, what's it like coming from Lafroig joining Lock Lee? How, how are you working in Lock Lee differently than you did with Lefroig, and how does your time with Lefroig inform your work with Lockley? Um, yeah, so again, look, good question. That I guess, how do I work with? I guess coming from Peter, I guess to plain spirits. Um, it's just, I I think it's I'm old enough now. I guess I've got good experience. I know. I've gained lots of kind of technical knowledge through the years. So I guess it's just a case of using my experience to understand, I guess, like, keep, keep going back to that, that point. But like, once I know what people are trying to create, I know what that means technically, what we have to do and kind of what we have to kind of adjust or tweak more than anything. It's not like there's not, I guess, huge adjustments needed to say something that's really good. So it's just tweaking to try and add just that, depth into the liquid as well and then I guess the second part was about kind of Lefroig, what, what was that again? Josh? Yeah, just, just how your time at Lefroig may have informed what you do at Lockley. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely, absolutely it's a different scale as well completely different scale it's, um, it's, it's very, I guess at Lefroig, the recipe was set, the job really was to not mark up um, and just you, you would kind of tweaking around the edges, like you'd, like nobody changes Lefroig, nobody's that daft. Um, it's the world's biggest peated single malt, so like yeah, don't mock up, John. Um, whereas with Lockley, is it's like you, you're it's a different kind of thing. It's your jobs to cradle and to kind of nurture and to push and to just 
nudge it, try and nudge it forward and make it kind of, I guess, what we want it to be. And that's, so it's a completely different thing. And I guess making, there was lots of layers to Lefroy as well. So yes, it had to be Petey and that was the biggest thing not to muck up on. But like, there was lots of layers below that that you always had to concentrate on too. So it's going to be the same with Lockley. Once we kind of, we've got, like, we'll just be kind of working on the, the layers and the, the depth of the character and just it's tweaking kind of what we do in the production process to to just give us that depth. You said something really interesting a second ago there, John, which is when someone gives you the story of what they're looking for, in your brain, you can do the technical side of that. As As someone who wanders through distilleries looking at all the piping work, and just trying to be like, okay, that's connected to that, but it goes through that room via that wall and how that goes over there. Are you able to articulate how you go from story to the technical process? Because that boggles my mind. Okay, yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll try and kind of keep it like lingo proof. Um, so, <laughs> like, basically, the, f- the first part, well, is is the malted barley like what what are you dealing with where's it coming from like what are the contributing factors so for Loch Lee it's grown within two miles of the mash tun mm-hmm. so like it's all very local for a lot of other distilleries it could be coming from south of England north of Scotland kind of it could be peated it could be unpeated so there's lots of again if you think about that like where it's grown the kind of I guess the terroir and then what you do with it whether it's plain or peated you can start to see a few variables kicking in there straight away mm. the next mm-hmm. part is the extraction of the the sugars and flavors and the, the mash tun and how you do that um, whether it's like the wort uh, which is the sugary liquid and flavor you take off the mash tun whether it's clear or cloudy that now start to bring in different variables as well you then move into the fermentation and the type of your vessels, the kind of temperature, the yeast types, they all bring in variables as well. So that, you again, you're just building on the variables and the variables. And then distillation, wash distillation, speed is kind of the thing here. And mm. the rate of distillation and, and how you want to, what flavours you're going to get by going faster or slower. So that brings in more variables. And then cuts in the second distillation so for like heads or four shot cuts then spirit cuts like the the depths and lengths and kind of flavors and then what that leaves for your tails or your faints depending on where you are in scotland and then what that does to the balance in the vessel so then that's you kind of in the distillery then you've you've got the casks onto that as well so you can see like just by moving up different bits and pieces all the way through that process that you, you can end up with a very different liquid from even the same malted barley at the, at the beginning. Or, so you can just even change one thing and it changes everything mm-hmm. thereafter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it strikes me that do you have controls in place? So if, if you move that one thing you know that's you can then see what's being changed. But if you move that thing and that thing over there, 
it starts to get a little uneven grounding. And if you change this and this and this, you have to be in trouble at that point. Yeah, no, you can only change one thing at a time. That's the thing. Just, you know, <laughs> just one thing at a time. Because that's the thing. Because then you don't know what's made. Like, you, you will know what's made the difference if, depending on, I guess, the outcomes. So, like, if you change your rate of distillation, if you go faster, you're going to bring more kind of heavier kind of oils and grassy notes in. Whereas if you go slower, it's going to get more kind of copper contact. That gives you kind of instant fruit and long-term fruit as well because you get these sulfites that will turn into real kind of like tropical fruit flavours in your maturation. So like that's just wash distillation. So like mm-hmm. something just as simple as that, you can change kind of quite a lot um, as well. So it's just it's experience, and technical training and experience, I guess. Uh, die and made lots of mistakes so <laughs> same as everyone else <laughs> if you're going to try and be I guess try and understand something you've got to make mistakes you've got to break eggs so like, I've um, and been doing it for well, it's almost 30 years now so yeah, yeah got that just broken a lot of eggs I guess <laughs> <laughs> but, but it also strikes me that we're we're in an industry that deals in the long game and so as you're making or as you're running experiments now and you're able to see payoff as it you know you know comes out the mash ton and I liked what you said about the cloudy and the clear or you know as you're running a faster distillation and what that means for oils and flavors you're getting information now immediately but then you've also got the cask component of that. And then you've got what you're seeing for that exact liquid at three years versus 12 years versus 30 years. And it is interesting. I was thinking as you were speaking that experience goes such a long way here when you know what this moment coming out the still right now will look like or hopefully will look like in 15 or 25 or 40 years say do you do you ever get impatient you don't seem like an impatient man but do you get impatient within a moment where you wish you could fast forward into the the distant future <laughs> no <laughs> not really sorry i'll just, I just yeah, yeah, easy that. answer that's, nope. that's my that's my dry scottish sense of humor coming out there but no like and that's that is the thing jason like it is the thing like we are now planning for whiskey then that i'll be you know, retired well maybe never mm-hmm. retired who knows but like we're planning 25 year olds so that is now yeah. 24 to 7 so like we're planning for stuff like that now so yeah, you know, you're always planning. You've always got to a long-term approach. And equally, we know the type of casks, what we want the liquid to look like for these brands as well. So, yeah, you know, it's just, it's a whole, it is a whole thing. And at each stage, you think the liquid will be about here. And so you try and match the cask to that part of the the process. So that that's, mm. we, we've done that. And we've kind of got that program in place now as well. I think that just from adding on to what John said in that point, we that's been one of the main, one of the biggest things since um, since John joined us was, was cup, t- talking much longer term. So that we we had we had plans as a business, but I think the the long term stock, the maturation strategy, that was that was um, 
uh, I think, a fairly substantial piece of work that John did in these first couple of weeks with us. So for, for me, that that's exciting because I, I can... First of all, I know what casks not to touch <laughs> right now, um, but but also we're, you know, we 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 know the cask profile, the makeup of Lochley twenty five year old, which is obviously going to be uh, going to be phenomenal. But the, we're at such an early stage that what we're making right now, and actually the response to the the first one's been been uh, quite overwhelming. If people like it now, you know, this is only ever going to get better. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it yeah. makes my job a lot easier when we can look further ahead to uh, what's coming. I'm going to use Kilhoman as as the example again. You know, just uh, I like where this discussion is going, where you're preparing now for a 25-year-old. And it seems you have an understanding of where that 25-year-old is going to go. But if I think back to Kilhoman and early on and tasting their three-year-old stock, their four, their five-year-old stock, it was fruity, it was floral. And then right around nine years of age, 10 years of age, it starts to get a bit herbaceous and flinty and almost, at least to my palate, starting to get into some of the flavor profile that that I get from Port Ellens, from younger Port Ellens, not, not necessarily the older Port Ellens. I just see some similarities there. And, and I'm curious, there's going to be a lot of layers to this question. You know, your job, John, at Lafroig was don't muck it up. You have a system in place. You're there to make Lafroig 10-year-old and quarter cask and so on, and just don't muck that up. But here you are with Lock Lee and... David, John, your entire team is concerned on making whiskey for now, but also for 25 years from now. Are you still in the mode of don't muck it up? Or are you in the mode of there may be some tweaking here and there to get that 25-year-old to be where it needs to be 22 years from now? Does that does that question make sense? Like, are you still experiencing? Are you still experimenting a bit? What is that looking like? So, yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question as well, Josh. So, as absolutely, because we don't know what a 10-year-old Lockley is like <laughs> yet. So, we are, there's, there's quite a lot of projection there. So, the job is to keep a close eye on it, to see how it's developing and understand what shows, like... The character of the distillery, I think, is really important. You taste that in a whiskey as well. So, like, you need to understand, like, if you're tasting uh, the inaugural Lockley to a 10-year-old to a 25-year-old, that you can see the thread between them all and that they are, they do have the same DNA. That's hugely, hugely important. And so we know what the DNA we want it to look like and want it to feel like, but we still have to make sure it ends up there. So we are kind of watching and it's like, I don't know, it's just like raising a child, I guess. You, you, kind of, you know what you want them to roughly, you do know. You, there's fundamentals you want them to have and that's your job as a parent to get the fundamentals in there. You can, and you, you can't kind of, and let them choose, can I guess, the life they lead as long as, I guess, like with a child, if they're a good person and... Um, 
they're happy, I guess, as a parent, that you've kind of got a couple of fundamentals right there for them. So to let them explore the world and kind of make the, myth, the most of that. So again, like Lockley, you've got to just give it the fundamentals and kind of let it develop into the character it becomes as well. So, but we we kind of know how we want it to end up as well. So yeah, no, you're, you're watching brief all the way through. As the parent of two teenage girls, I can understand <laughs> how difficult such a task might be. So, <laughs> do you ever want to kill your whiskey? Throttle a barrel's neck? Is that how that works? No, 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 no. Just um, <laughs> I, I, I know that feeling too with four boys. So, um, at all different ages. So, um, but yeah. It passes, Josh, I guess. That's all I'm saying. It passes. They come close again. They come back. <laughs> I sure hope so. It is they difficult. Do. You do. know what? Just like with whiskey aging, I guess, uh, you know. No. Knocks off the edges. Child evolution is not linear. Right? Yes. There you go. It knocks off the edges, just like a good cat. You're the barrel. Be the barrel, Josh. Oh my gosh, I feel like knackered wood right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that needs to be on a t-shirt be the barrel that is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> um D- david i i had a, a follow-up for you here where obviously we know john's background we know where john has come from to to join the Lockley project you mentioned earlier when we were talking about previous employment looking at how malts were shaped can you, for my benefit, first and foremost, but, but also for the listeners, can you give us a bit about yourself and then really the same question that was asked of John, what do you find bringing from previous employment to what you're now doing at Lockley? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I, I actually, my, my previous role was with, with the same company as John, so um, came here <laughs> from, from Beam Centauri. Great company in a lot of ways. Um, so I... I I actually found out about Lockley because they were a, a customer of mine in terms of selling casks, <laughs> selling Maker's Mark barrels to uh, to the team. So, yeah, I've, I've, my, I'm very quick about my, my own background was with Beam on the cask side for a couple of years doing, hmm. um, spent a lot of time in Kentucky and um, and Hereth and all the areas that... Um, Beam were using their set, their you know, for their own Scotch malt distilleries and and, and tequila and, and the other uh, various other spirits, and then essentially working with the the master blenders or the the distillery managers from distilleries to to work out their their wood mm. program, what they need, what kind of flavour profile they they want to go for, and and matching that up to what casks we need to provide. So that that was that was almost a kind of behind the scenes role as as such. Um, but through that, doing the IBD and doing all these, you know, various things that a lot of people in our industry do to get the, the, the as much technical knowledge as they can. Never, never going to be anything like the team that John has uh, on site actually doing this stuff. But I think that helped. I mean, it certainly helped me understand the the, the full process end to end. And because prior to that, I worked for an independent bottler. Um, like yourselves, so I, I, uh, that's kind of where I started off, Douglas Lang, and that was very much front end, hosting hundreds of tastings, all the events <laughs> under the sun, um, and, and built up a lot of good relationships with 
customers here, but also with with um, various export markets. So I've I've taken bits from that role certainly um, oh, sure. to get us established here. Uh, and then the, when this opportunity came up with um, with Lochley, I'd be, been able to get in at the start, and I'm sure I don't want to speak for John, but I'm sure as as part of his thinking, be, being able to shape something that that is is still even now that we have. A product in market, it's it's a very 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 early stage, so <laughs> it's a uh, it's really exciting. And and as the team grows as well, we bring people in, they get excited about the project, and um, we're always we all, we're always looking for you know fresh perspective and things. We don't we don't ever want to become insular and only only seeing uh, seeing our own brand. We want to make sure we know what's going on out there. Yeah. So yeah, I've kind of come come from a couple of different types of background within the industry and then um, this is uh, this is all new as well just starting a brand from the beginning but it's it's going okay so far <laughs> so, so so you seem to be the very man to ask this question of then so just like we got to a point where regions and regionality became a shortcut but it was a nice way to introduce the consumer to the world of scotch I'm I'm starting to notice more and more there's a, there's a little bit more pushback about 70% of the flavor of a whiskey comes from the cask right is has that fallen victim to the same shortcut as regionality and and regions or are are we really just saying look a lot of flavor comes from a cask right yeah. is it 70% we could argue that till the cows come home but uh, has it become too easy? Has it become a, a bit of a crutch for us to lean on this seventy percent number? Good, that's a good question. I mean, I, I've I've heard the seventy percent. I've heard the the, the fifty. Um, <laughs> I've heard the, yeah. I, I think no, no one that I've seen anyway. No one has ever said the number and then backed it up with any kind of <laughs> scientific uh, uh-huh. paper that shows. So I, I, I think. I mean. Certainly, it obviously has a huge influence. There's no absolutely no doubt about that. Um, so, but to me, the, everything that John mentioned there about the the, the process that, that the spirit goes through before it gets there, there are so many variables that change flavour and quality that we are that John and his team are obviously looking at for us. Um, and you put this, a spirit from one distillery into you know two identical casks or as identical as you can get. Um, they'll be different so it's not to me it's actually more about how your spirit interacts with different type of casks rather sure. than just saying okay you know once it goes in the cask we, it's a lottery we'll wait and see I think <laughs> we've the way the way we've tried to do it Loch Lee certainly is going direct to source is a big thing I don't um, we, we the, as soon as they're tipped in makers they're, they're straight over here they don't sit in a cooperage or go, you know drying out anything like that Likewise with Hereth, we have one sole supplier. That's that's where we get our really high quality uh, sherry casks. So uh, there there are ways that you can ensure the casks themselves are good, are are um, are nice and uh, nice and wet and ready to interact with your spirit. But I don't. The whole percentage thing is 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 tricky. I, I would. I. I'd probably say. I mean, if I was to say a percent, I'd probably say fifty-fifty because you have a you have a lot of things you can do before it gets there. there. Um, but 
yeah, it's 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 difficult. We, I, I, I've, I've heard I've heard higher numbers than than seventy, but it was it was from people who sell casks for a living. So you have to take these things with a, with a pinch of salt. I love the fact that you were hesitant to attach a number, then you did, and now we're going to quote you for the rest of your days. Well, yeah. David Ferguson, even, even a since I said man, that, <laughs> even since I said that, I'm thinking, no, no, actually, that's not quite. Right. Yeah, it's it's impossible to tell. There's a lot of magic in there as well. Uh, right, and, and I, I think there's that aspect of what's the use of the cask, right? Is it is it fresh? Is it is it going in a second? Is it re? You know, Joshua mentioned knackered wood a moment ago. You know, like knackered wood sure is oh brilliant Ayrshire expression sure is shite, right? Knackered wood sure is shite. Uh, isn't giving seventy percent of itself to that liquid. Mm. There's a there's a reason young grain is put in knackered wood to just sit in a corner and behave itself. So yeah, even no, it's a great point. Even even within so John pulled uh, a bunch of single cast samples for us the other day. We're talking about our already planning for our next uh, release in in about you know, a couple couple of months time yeah. and we, we had sort of 30 different cats so same same wood type from the same supplier same spirit that went into them one was in the top of our racking one was down low and they, they, they're different um oh you you got i'm preaching to the converted here because you guys uh, <laughs> sell single cask whiskey but they, so I, I think for we've heard of it yeah i mean it's just it, there's there's so much variety even within the same warehouse and um, mm-hmm. that, that's where oh, that's obviously where John's role comes in with with putting together the, the right recipes for it how, how high is that racking that you're talking of John correct me if I'm wrong is it six seven yeah oh, I mean we, we actually ca- casks not feet or meters maybe it's meters <laughs> ca- casks yeah we actually we're just in the process of building our second warehouse so um, we, we we've got some dunnage, we've got some racking in the first one, but the the second warehouse is the structure. In fact, to send you guys a picture, I took a picture this morning when the sun was out. It's uh, the structure is up for the second one, so we're oh, wow. we've outgrown warehouse one already. It happens quickly, right? I've got a an, another question that that mm. goes in line with with Jason's one about casks. And David, I love what you said because. It, we agree with you, right? Each cask is unique. Each cask is, is different. Even if you're dealing with two Maker's Mark bourbon barrels filled on the same day, one after the other, and they, they could be sitting next to each other, and they're both going to taste different. In your experience, David and, and John, do you know if those variabilities increase if one were, say, a Maker's Mark and one were an MGP or... or is is bourbon is a bourbon cask a bourbon cask so long as it's it's good good wood and received kind of wet? You you want to fire away, John? I I'm, I've got a, I've got an opinion, but it might be different to yours. I don't know. It it can make a difference, yep. And I guess the difference with makers, the main difference with makers, is the thickness of the heads. They're just they use their heads are quarter an inch thicker so that huh. they have their air dried longer than other barrels too so hopefully makers is going to take quite a lot out of the barrel as well i know that's kind of why we use makers at lafroig as well just because 
the, that, with the head spin that just that quarter an inch thicker you just got a different flavour profile as well and equally it kept more liquid in the barrel as well so wow. so simple things like that the, the cooperage it constructs it the way they do things the amount of like again that can lead to I guess more vaporization and different oxidization, so that gives you different chemical reactions. And again, that's kind of why, like, you can have uh, two casks sitting next to each other can be different because they're just slightly different makeup, different trees. I think a couple of bourbon plants have actually showed, like, even like at this level of the tree and this level of the tree, like oh, different Buffalo levels. Trees did that, yeah. Yes, the, yeah. The oak project, yeah, yeah. sure. So, like, even at different heights of the tree, you get different variation in the maturation. So, I think oh, wow. when it, it, it's a, it'll be a combination of just how many of the, again, the tops of the tree, the middle of the tree, the bottom of the tree that you've got making that shook, and then how it's coopered. Again, so many variables that come in to the these two casks sitting beside each other made it yeah. on the same day, probably by the same cooper even, can still be different <laughs> as well, produce different whiskey. Yeah, sure. with, with Lochley as well, when we, uh, I'm saying we as if I was there at the time, but but, but even before I joined, the, <laughs> the guys had, uh, I mean, they, they didn't just go straight for makers and like, this is what we're using, that's it. They, they experimented with some different types of, of bourbon barrels. So we, we, we do have some, other, you know, if there's Woodford there, there's uh, there are I think a couple of Buffalo Trace. So they, they, it was it was a conscious decision to go with the makers. You've got a, another thing that um, I mean, John made a great point there, but even even down to the Cooper that's that's, that's <laughs> made the cask um, over in, in Kentucky. That there are so many things that how long the bourbon was in there for. Some um, if you if you're going to fill a a Booker's barrel that's had um, you know nine year whiskey in there, it's it's going to have a different impact than yeah. something that's only only been filled for four years. The other thing about Makers for us, it's got much higher wheat content, so it's a different style of bourbon than mm. a Jim Beam, which is more rye, more spice. Again, we're I think we've I don't know how many variables we've mentioned in the in the, in the process even on this on this call, but the, all of these things obviously go into which probably makes makes John's uh, job more difficult. But um, we're trying we're we're still at such an early stage that we're still learning how our spirit works yeah. with different cast types and doing experiments here and there to find out what um, I mean. Certainly, to me, our, our and I'm sure the four of us in here, but the, the fresh first fill bourbon with our spirit style is just incredible. Um, it might be a wee bit lighter in colour, and that that might you know some people are still look at that as some kind of measure of quality, but for for flavour, it's just um, it's just amazing. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, I, I had a, a line of questioning that will, is going to take us down a slightly different path. So, Jason, if there was something you wanted to. Uh, throw in here great and if not mine was a a geeky follow-up and so i don't know if you're gonna take us in that type of direction you do you and then i'll do me okay so earlier on john we have a very geeky listenership and and i and i know you were you were giving us the process and you're you're going through it beautifully and, and quickly and so i i let you get away with there being 
a significant difference with a cloudy wash, uh, a cloudy wart, and a clear wart. So I know from my time going around Westland, Matt Hoffman has talked about the exact same thing. But for the benefit of our listeners, could you talk to why one would be cloudy and one would not be cloudy and and then what that does to flavour? And please, get as geeky as you want to be. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the thing that makes a wort cloudy or not cloudy is the turbidity of the wort. Yeah. So you're looking at kind of... The main thing that will affect that is raking in the mash tun. So mm-hmm. when you are raking inside the mash tun, you create and kind of get basically forcing it. Like it's, if you can imagine, the mash is like a big, it's like a, I guess like a big tea bag or a pot of tea. And if you keep stirring that, you're going to push some of the leaves through, and then it gets into your tea. That's basically a mm-hmm. cloudy wort. Whereas if you don't rake so much and you just kind of let it filter through, maybe at a slightly slower pace, it'll be just clearer. So mm. the, 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 oh, okay. so we, we are trying, we've removed quite a lot of raking to try and get clearer work at Lockley. And I guess then we're, we're looking to uh, slow, slow it down slightly just so that it can, it's got its time to kind of filter through and pull everything out nice and slowly to get that clearer uh, work coming through. The, f- the flavour profile difference would be if you're raking a lot, you're in, a, in a plain malt, you're just going to get much more of a kind of cereal characteristic. You're just going to push that kind of grain cereally kind of characteristic through. Whereas if you get clear, you'll get much more kind of fruity characteristic coming through as well. So hence why we're trying to go the kind of clear way. And it just reacts differently in your fermentations as well thereafter with the solid content. So with if you can remember further back, we want it bursting with fruit. So we're trying to get a wee bit clearer in the wort yep. and just to allow that to kick into the in the fermenters. Does a does a more cloudy wort have a harder time fermenting? Do the solids get in the way of fermentation? No, no, not so much. Um, it, they can, I guess, they could, they could, um, but it's just it's more it's more the what it allows, I guess, the the yeast to do. It just gets in the way of the yeast a wee bit and um, mm. changes the the kind of the acidity level within the fermenter. So that changes the kind of acids and so you just get different kind of flavoured compounds coming through due to that. Excellent. Excellent. You never just put your hands in there and say, well, the cask will take care of 70% of this, so I'm not going to be too worried today. <laughs> it's no. 50. We've just learned that it's 50, Jason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your number, John? If you were to attach a number that you don't want to attach, uh, what, what number would you say? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question because it's, it's going to be different for different ages of whiskey. I feel as well, and it's kind of mm-hmm. it's, it's so it's it's I don't know. I'm trying to think of an analogy, um, <laughs> Jason. So would you say you're fifty percent of your relationship, or is it seventy thirty? Sometimes is it ninety ten, <laughs> or how does that work? Because 
it should be a balance and it should be a kind of a moving feast. But uh, yeah, I guess. I love the subtext of today's interview, right? We've, we've got parenting advice. We've got marriage advice. Like yeah. next it'll be how to load a dishwasher. Yeah. Like this is brilliant. This is. See, whiskey I do views have views on that. Whiskey is the answer to everything. So there you go. Uh, yeah. So just whiskey mode. So yeah, but it's, oh, it's just like. Brilliant. Yes, it should be a combination. You should always, for me, you should always, we want to try and taste the distillery flavour, the, the characteristics of the distillery. So, like, for Lochley, you want some of that. Like, the, the barley's, Ayrshire barley, it's grown within two miles of the distillery. We need to taste these flavours. We need to understand mm. what that makes, difference that makes to us. Um and kind of how we accentuate that within the the whiskey, so that you can, if if you've got anywhere kind of reasonable amount of kind of understanding of flavour, you should be able to get that. And then say the, the fruits, the kind of, and then you're just building that with these fruit flavours that should be bursting out of it. And then you get some of these grassy kind of notes as well, because well we're on a farm and you should have kind of slight grassy notes coming through floral notes add the depth and then the casks should support all of these things and it's almost like the cask is like the bitters in a cocktail it just pulls everything together and it's the it pulls and some of the parts is better than the individual that's that's a great point coming back to what david had set up previously as well which is I know for Joshua and I with the company, and, and as David alluded to a moment ago, a first fill bourbon will allow the distillery to be present with some nice framing, some wood presence, some sweetness. For some consumers, ruby red whiskey is the best whiskey, but invariably that much sherry will throw the spirit out of balance. But as far as a consumer taking something off a shelf, it's easy peasy. Um, do, do you grapple with that, John, between how much colour the consumer looks for <laughs> and how much of that distillery character you want to be present in the bottle that's on the shelf? Uh, I, I guess a bit. You have to. You have to. Uh, the customer's always right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like there's no point in, I guess, like, but it should it should still have some DNA. So, like, yes, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. It's tougher with a big kind of sherry character to keep Lockley, but you should still be able to, you should still be able to get there as well. And it, it just, it's, it's, it's kind of like us now, I guess we've got all this, knowledge of whiskies and sometimes we might want like so if you go from I guess one end of the scale would be a 25 year old and a first fill sherry just left and you're at kind of like whoa big kind of powerful oloroso um, or whatever, Pedro Jimenez or whatever and you've got a big change whereas if you go for like a six year old refill all you get is distillery mm. flavours so we'll yeah. always try and keep that balance hopefully be able to show people that's that's kind of one of the things i guess that we hope to do and we can do um as over the next few years as we're evolving and developing is show everyone what locally can be and in, in all phases of or forum 
Mm. This this conversation answered the question that I had uh, previously. So so this this is perfect. But I, I wanted to get back to the barley, if you didn't mind, because like both of you had pointed out, you're sourcing it's it, it's your own barley from from two miles away. And John, you would you'd use this word twice now, terroir, and and that you wanted to be able to highlight that within the whiskey. And uh, I, I have no argument for or against terroir when it comes to barley um, in, in whiskey. But I'm curious of, of how, how that's different. Obviously, from, from a logistical standpoint, it makes sense. You, you've got your own barley, and that kind of makes things a bit easier for you, potentially. Um, but from a terroir perspective... How is that barley informing what Loch Lee will be? And, and do you believe that, you know, if, if you got to a point where you had to ramp up production so much that if you had to purchase barley elsewhere, and maybe you're doing that already. I, I don't know if you're using 100% of your barley from your farms for, for your operation or if you're doing a bit of a mix and match. Jeez. The more I talk, the more the more I'm messing up. Yeah, there's a question questions. coming. There, there is a question <laughs> coming. Joshua's How many more hours like do you guys you have? Ages and then three come at once. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but I'm just curious of, of of I guess how you protect that terroir in in your final product so that it's beyond casks, right? How are you protecting it so that you're showing Ayrshire in in the way that you want to show Ayrshire? So yeah, well it's, it's it's the farm that grows all the barley as well. So it's 100% grown on the farm that the distillery's on as well. And that's kind of, that's that's something that makes us unique. You know, nobody does 100% homegrown yeah. barley. Um, yeah. uh, we don't have a floor malting as of yet, um, but that we, we, we are certainly looking towards stuff like that as well. And that's the bit. To me, they will accentuate Ayrshire the most. If we get a kind of floor maltings and we get that um, done as kind of like I guess as as naturally as we can, that will accentuate the kind of I guess the the terroir the best way we can. And then when we extract the kind of flavours, we will see again, um, and we might go for a semi cloudy wort. So that we get the cereals and the fruit. So like it's just I guess it's just one of these things. It's, it's things we jobs we still have to do, I guess. But we need to try and get a floor malting so that we can accentuate that Ayrshire terroir. I would say that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's just to build on that as well. That what John says there, the making us kind of unique within the industry is. I mean, actually, us referring to the barley as local doesn't doesn't really do it justice at all it's, 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 it's literally on site it's um i mean the two miles that john mentioned that that's as far away as it goes because that's the size of the the, the farm um oh, wow. some of it is 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 100 yards from where it's uh, where, where we're distilling so yeah, it's a bit it's a, definitely a big part of the story as john said as well about the malt, malting side of things what if we if we at some point do that as well the whole that closes the the loop and um, we literally do everything on site so although i know some uh, people talk 
maybe more about terroir than we will, certainly, in terms of using different forms of barley and seeing the, the, the difference. For us, we are the only we're the only distillery that use our barley so to me that's the that's kind of the main mm. thing no no one you know everyone else uses barley from a few sources uh, so it's going to a lot of different distilleries whereas Lockley barley is unique to us yeah oh i like that that's 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 very cool that's very cool. And it just really quickly, speaking of the different barley varieties, are you, are you playing around? Seeing as you've got so much land, are you concentrating on a, on a single variety? Are you working with different ones because you're still in this slightly experimental phase? Like John had said, you know, maybe we may do a, a slightly cloudy warp moving on if we feel we need to. So is that part of the, the farming practices? Yeah, I think I mean certainly the the owner has um, has grown different varieties before, and um, he did a batch of beer barley in a few fields a couple of years back to see <laughs> how it went. Uh, we used to do a lot of um, concerto, and now switched over to, to laureate. So that there are there's varieties there that we're. We're using. I think the, the tricky part in all of this becomes, you know, how how do you separate out each each batch of a you know a different strain of barley right through the process? And and it, it, you know, you're talking about seriously reducing your your efficiency of your of your of your plant by doing that. So yep. it's now it's a good question. I think right now we're quite happy with how the current the current crop that's being grown is is working, but certainly wouldn't rule it out. Okay. And, and the current crop is the barley type? It's laureate, 100% it laureate. laureate. Okay, okay. The closing question that we, that we always like to ask, and, and I think this may be a special question for you because you, what day is it? The 27th? You've only launched mm-hmm. the brand officially two days ago. So right now the sky's the limit. But with that limit in mind, what are you looking forward to across the next five years? Obviously, I, I understand what you had been looking forward to had just happened. <laughs> but now that's behind you. What, what does the next five years look like? And what are you excited about? Hey, okay, I'll, I'll certainly go for I mean, personally, hey, this, this first week, this first release coming out two days ago, that I'm surprised that my phone hasn't hasn't gone up in flames the, the amount of <laughs> having to recharge it three times a day just just with the amount of messages and and um, requests and that are coming through is is it's been amazing obviously there are still like the us for example this the, the stock is on its way so it's not it's not right. landed yet yep. um so that th- there will be other waves of um of activity which is great uh, it just builds even more anticipation so that this first one has been really well received but I'm I almost t- I mean as an inaugural you kind of take that to the side and say right that that's a one-off um the exciting part for me is what we what we do now and with John's help and and looking at the cast profile that we want to do for for their, our core ongoing release that will be uh, really important this year but on top of that we have a plan to showcase the the spirit and three or four different ways kind of tying into tying into what's happening on the site on the farm at that time of year and then relaying that into a spirit character and a brand and a pack and um, I think 
you know, if we, if we had this call this time next year, you would have potentially four really different but equally interesting expressions of Loch Lee on your desk, which that, that's what I'm excited about is getting to that point where we can start um, doing all the tastings and events and getting people's feedback and get, getting sure. people cracking bottles and letting us know what they think. Well, I, I've just opened my calendar. So which <laughs> January day, or should we just go for the 27th again? I'm ready. So I'm ready for this. <laughs> uh, and John? Yeah, no, similar. I just, like, we we are, we are planning as hard and as best we can, and we know how we want to showcase uh, Loch Lee and how we, kind of, this, I guess, the steps. So... I guess five years from now, we'll be we will be sitting here with reflection mode on and seeing kind of what's developed, how it's developed. I guess what's coming because it'll still be evolving. I feel um, as well. So I think it'll always be tweaking or evolving as well. So like I'm, that's the, that's the thing, I guess. And yeah, I, I uh, like I'm same as like. This time next year, we will have like we will have five different whiskies, each one different, and maybe kind of um, we've we've talked about uh, some of what they can be uh, already. Uh, I don't know. I'm supposed to be teasing this out. I think David, rather than kind of, <laughs> I just want to tell everyone what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. But like, yeah, I know it's because like there's just there's some cool stuff coming and some fortunate coincidences with some of the expressions uh-huh. as well coming. Oh, so there's the cryptic clue. Oh, I love that's it. wow. <laughs> Oh. We'll be pulling that out of the archive this time next year. What did he mean by that on January 27, yeah, 2022? Well, the cryptic clue is all just about we getting launched at this time next year as well. So. Oh, gosh. So we, we plan, again, just planning ahead. So we know what we want to do. And so, yeah. You're yeah. a master Links, tease. links to the past, the links <laughs> to the future, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Oh, this has been terrific, really terrific. Yeah, we really yeah. appreciate your time today and, and talking and, and sharing a bit about Loch Lee and, and what's to be expected. You know, from the, from the import side, you know, it's, it's so nice to have Loch Lee as part of the Impex portfolio. And uh, I know that our sales team is champing at the bit to, to get the stock here. I know it's forthcoming. Um, hopefully sometime in May it'll hit um, U.S. shores. So, you know, we'll see what global logistics looks like. You know, maybe that date will change. Um, but it'll be exciting <laughs> to, to roll it out and hopefully invite invite you guys over uh, to our shores uh, before too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Con- continued success in making good old scotch drink. Nice. Like, like the burns like at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, no, good, good, good to see us and hear us, and yeah, hopefully in the flesh soon as well with a dram. With a dram, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. We'll be there. Yep. Great. Cheers, gents. Cheers. Okay. Take care. Sincere thanks to both uh, David Ferguson and John Campbell of John Campbell now of Lockley, right? This is kind of a funny thing to say after as many years 
yeah. at Lafroig. But, but almost three decades. Right. Absolutely remarkable. Right. But but what a what a great conversation. And and quickly to put my Impex hat on, you know, a, another thanks to them for entrusting Impex beverages to be their importer into the US. You know, being able to share Lockley's whiskeys with retailers and with with drinkers and whiskey dorks. I'm I'm just so excited to to be enjoying it both as a consumer myself, but as someone who gets to introduce the brand to people. That that really has me excited. I did have a question for you on that front. Yeah. Which is the the first batch, the first release, the inaugural release that I think sold out before it hit store shelves, but it was insanely well received. Yeah. Is it the same bottles, the same liquid that's coming to the US? Correct. For, Correct. for the yeah. inaugural. So it's, so, it, so it's all the same. And, you know, there is only so much liquid. And because it is the same, there isn't a lot coming to the US. So when you see this starting to hit store shelves, run, don't walk, grab it. And then after that, the last thing I want you to do is flip it out at an auction site. And the first oh, thing yeah, that I want yeah. you to do, Open it. pop that cork, share it with friends, enjoy it, because it's it's remarkable liquid, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, and there's always going to be more Lockley. So buy more, open more, share more. That's what whiskey's all about. We, we say it with Single Cast Nation. I'm going to say it with this as well. Yeah, it's... I was going to say, it's really interesting for me. And by that, I mean, I'm examining my own internal feelings here, <laughs> which, which, as I've said for a, a long time, was in 1995 when Aaron opened. Mm. And there was Aaron on the Isle of Aaron across the Firth of Clyde from Ayr, where I was born and raised. I felt like I had a local distillery. Yeah. And I've I've always been a champion for Aaron, a fan of Aaron, and so very proud of what they've achieved over now 27 years. Mm -hmm. Um which almost 27, which is a, a remarkable number to throw around. I must be old. But <laughs> I thought about it when we were sitting chatting with David and John and we've got David sitting in air, we've got John sitting in Glasgow, and we're talking about this farm that Robert Burns once farmed as well. And I was born, I grew up two miles from Burns's cottage. Robert Burns means the absolute world to me. Uh, and I know you've got your your passionate love of, of vegetarian haggis, just like me. But He's, he's nodding his head right now with a mouthful of vegetarian haggis. So I was the vegetarian haggis with you. You gotta but, let me chew. You gotta let me finish here, Jason, so I can. But, no teeth. But, <laughs> but there's now something about Lock Lee that just has me so incredibly excited. And simply being a distillery in Ayrshire. It started to percolate. You mm -hmm. can see a, a slight simmering. But now chatting with David, now chatting with John, 
now seeing the inaugural release, now having a direct connection to it with Impex. Gosh, sharing an importer with Lock Lee right? in Airship. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's right? kind of crazy. It, it, it really means uh, the absolute world to me. And, and, I, and I said it, and I said at the end of the interview, I, I haven't even tasted the liquid yet. I've had wonderful reports, but I haven't tasted the liquid yet. And I'm already a champion of what they're doing and what they're setting out to achieve. Yeah. So, well, so personally, this, this is huge. Well, you know, think, and you, you said it before, you said it in the intro to the conversation, right? Think about the pedigree behind this distillery. Malcolm Rennie, right? That's the start of it. That's, that's your kill home. And Malcolm Rennie did work with Glenn Murray. You know, we have our, our own love for, for Glenn Murray. Mm. This is a man who knew what he was doing. So much so, Rosebank had brought him on, right? So, so yeah, they had right? a good start. And with David Ferguson coming from Beam Suntory, has everything that he's bringing to the distillery. And now you've mm-hmm. got John Campbell coming in to, to carry the torch from what Malcolm Rennie had started. I, I'm just, I'm so excited uh, for this distillery, for their team, and, and like I said, um, for consumers, for, for drinkers, because I think it's, it's going to be an absolute cracker for people. I think they're going to absolutely love it. Agreed. And what else did we say in our intro to today's episode? It's you and me getting back out into the world. It's you and me getting to go overseas. And, and we already you know, told Jess, there's a Lockley visit in our future. There's no visitor center. You can't just pitch up on their doorstep. Don't do it just like you wouldn't do it at Glen Elgin. Wink. Right? Don't, don't go do those things. <laughs> but we're going to get a chance to go and see them on site, taste some things, listen to them with shared liquid and, and and again we said it in the interview in January of 2023 they're looking at having had five releases in the first Amazing. year of releases and getting to tell yep. different Lockley stories along the way so I'm I'm all in I, I've said it more than once I'm all in I'm excited to see where we go <laughs> And I'm glad that you and Impex get to be part of that as well. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It is exciting. Do we have any news to report this week, Jason? I don't think we do, but... Maybe I'm thinking wrong. So for season six, you and I, like any good marriage, we're mixing it up in the bedroom. Oh, bounty. Oh, wait, do you hear that, Jason? That is, that is a, that is a wah pedal. (laughs) It's always the wah pedal with you. It's always to the wah pedal. Wah. <laughs> it's always to the wah pedal. It's always with the you. wah pedal with you. Wah, wah, wah. For, yeah. for season six, what you and I wanted to introduce was a little bit more variety. 
And so we've all right. And so we, we've they call those snacks, Jason. <laughs> Some communities call that a snack. Some call it swinging. Maybe we'll start swinging with our listeners. I don't quite know how to frame Bring this. Bring out your red umbrellas. But we're, we're looking to have... Oh my God, this really does sound like a terrible <laughs> argument that I would present to my wife. We're looking to have some more fun. You've been, with you've been open to it, right? You've been wanting to try it out. I mean, you said you were open. <laughs> These are your words. I'm just quoting your words back at you. <laughs> Terrible. I've had uh, far too much high quality Colholman to have this argument. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> okay, so there will be episodes where we have news. There will be episodes where we have emails. There will be episodes where we do some different kind of things. And mm. and I just right. want our listeners to be open to that. <laughs> but I'll get wait, hold on. Given their silence, it sounds like they agree. Um, to be clear, silence is not consent. Just to be clear. <laughs> so no, let, let's let's be very clear. Very so clear. yeah, so I like this. So we'll we'll sometimes news, sometimes not. Sometimes email, sometimes not. And then there's things we want to add, like you said. So continue, please. We were coming out of the mailbag episode. The mailbag episode was incredibly well received. Incredibly so. Oh my gosh. It, yeah. it was incredibly yeah. well supported and then it was incredibly well received. So that makes me very happy. There are many questions that we did not get through in that single episode. And so as the episodes go along, we're going to even pivot back to some questions that we didn't get to within the episode, one of which comes from Kevin Dunlop. And we, we're we going to get to that next time out the gate. But in, in referring to the... Kevin is the Chicago guy, right? Uh, yes. The, yes, there was a... We did cover a portion in the episode and then there's a portion we did not get to in the episode. Uh, yeah. And it was a, it was yeah, a good yeah. portion. Yep. So we are going to come back to it. But for today... We had an industry friend reach out to to make a few comments <laughs> that, gosh, let, let's go whole hog on this one. This industry friend said, I'm just sending you some thoughts. These are not for the pad cost, regular listener, right? Uh-huh, but But uh-huh. we read them and we said... These have to be in the pad cost. These are really excellent and and would sit well with our listeners. And we'd offered up, what about if we just kept you anonymous and uh, and we we put your words out? The person wrote back and they said, okay, anonymity will work. Maybe don't include the fetishism stuff. And <laughs> and and we said, well, you know we're going to include the fetishism stuff. And they said, yes, yes, I do. So here we go. This is this is it's a big email. Uh, I'm not gonna apologize for that. And so I would say get comfy, because there's a lot coming. Okay. All right, hold on. I getting comfy. And I've actually just poured a bit more kill home, and so you do. Well, I, you. I made a mistake. I just finished my second. So Anyway, oh, dear whiskey influencers, 
So you know this this person has has come to the right place. Congratulations on rummaging through the post and putting together such an entertaining and enlightening episode. Certain topics resonated hard with me and I wanted to share some thoughts of my own. Parentheses. They're probably not for repetition on the podcast. Close parentheses. The subjects in question were one, finishing bourbon. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think that means bringing your glass to a close. I, I think it means putting it into other. Yep. <laughs> I finished this bourbon. Next one. To other casks. So here we go. I'm finding it. My, my mouth is drying a little bit here. So I've just poured a little more Coleman. Smart. There's the rubbing that you hate, Joshua. I, this time I know There's that I'm rubbing. doing it. I, I told you before, everybody hears it. You do it and it's... That time I knew I was doing it at least. So number one is, is the finishing of bourbon. Number two is bourbon jumping the shark. And then hmm. in parentheses, oh, surprise, yeah. surprise, they're connected. So here we go. The first topic, finishing bourbon, piqued my interest as I have been slowly deconstructing the quote-unquote purity fetishism within whiskey. It seems Mm. odd to me that folks celebrate the people that distill spirits and fill those spirits into cask. However, once that spirit is in the cask, the thinking goes that those same people should leave it the heck alone. Why? I think this quote-unquote just let the cask do the talking bias masks a deeper distrust and a failure on us all to communicate the value add that human intervention so often represents. Mm. The underpinnings of this distrust is the notion that intervention indicates a flaw. Just side comment, sidebar. This is why I wanted to include this, because it really touched on what you and I were covering in our answer here. And I just thought it added to the conversation. Another industry voice into the conversation I thought was really spot on. So so I'm back to the, the email here. We need to get better at saying how cask finishing and blending, when done right, is a flex to opportunity and transformation. Not everyone wants that transformation, I guess. They want predictable, perfect maturation. Quote-unquote, if you had to fix it somewhere along the way, it can't be worth drinking now. Mm. I'm sure psychoanalysts would make merry with this stance. I just find it frustrating and short-sighted. Where is that less great whiskey, of which there is a lot, going to go? I am pro-finishing bourbon because at least it is interesting. And he put interesting in italics. Oh, look at that. That's serious business, Jason. This brings me on to point two. And then I nearly didn't bother asking if we could repeat this because this is a horrible compliment for you. And I really didn't want to be the one reading this on the podcast. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) God damn it. 
Every time, Jason. Oh, this, this, what I'm about to say out loud, I'm going to have vomit in the back of my throat as I say it. Just, just so you know. Okay, a little mm. bit of Kilhoman to, to give me some courage. Mm. Delicious. This brings me on to point two. So ably unpacked by Joshua. A boom. A boom. All those Jason. store picks are fine. Really, they'll taste just lovely. As long as it is whiskey from one new charred oak cask and to connect with my point above, it will simply sit in the slot expected of it. Consistency, right? My, my word yeah. here, consistency. Yeah. The words yeah. you hear going around. Yeah, the one C word that, that we don't believe right. in this Any podcast. distillery. Yeah. Uh, this this author continues, you read out the James Foster email praising the Kilhoman Finnish Catoctin Creek, <laughs> the one that we had a wee sip of before we started recording today. <laughs> and Joshua, in hearing that email, said he had a tear in his eye. Of course, because this wasn't a cask you bottled, it was a project you shaped. It is a release that wouldn't have happened without you. We're both basking in the glory of, of yeah. these words. Yeah, he's, he's trying to bring a tear to both of our eyes, not just. And by he, I mean they, because we haven't we haven't said whether this is yeah, a, don't, don't, a woman or yeah, a man. Don't, don't so. attach a gender to an anonymous email. Yeah. However, if X store Wyoming didn't pick that barrel of distillery Y. Someone in Tampa or Tucson would have. That's a much less exciting proposition to me than your Catoctin. And the author says, Sincere muzzles on a whole decade of SCN. You folks should be really proud. You don't get that email in your inbox and not run it on the podcast. No, no, you, you you don't at all, and 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 sincere thanks to Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden for sending that uh, email <laughs> along. Um, oh shit, we weren't supposed to say who it was. Yeah, yeah, bleep out the Bruce Bruce Dickinson name. Don't don't use that. <laughs> yes, the Bruce. Dick Listen, I I I've got some comments here, but you are the one who was messaging back and forth with this person. <laughs> And you're the one that's that that who led with we need to bring this on the podcast, in which I had said, yes, we do need to bring it on the podcast. It's pronounced podcast, not podcast. <laughs> and uh, and so I wanted to give you the floor to comment. There's a few things going on here. One of which echoed with a conversation I was having with our very own Jess yesterday, which is when you're in the world of single cask bottling. We come along, we taste it, we say, that's a great cask. That will resonate with the nation. We're excited to put it out there. But all we've done is pick something we like. Yeah. And I don't want to downplay, and, and Jess also didn't want to downplay what it is we do. There's value 
in knowing your independent bottler's palate and knowing that if they liked a cask, there's a very good chance you will like mm. that cask. Look what you did mm-hmm. with this Colhoman from Warehouse Liquors. You tasted that and you said, yeah. that's right up Jason's alley. I know Jason's palate. That's going to resonate. Boom. Home run. Yep. So so on one hand, there is that part of our business where we come along and we find the best casks we can. We bottle them and we sell them to the nation. US, Canada, ROW, love it all. Yeah. Yep. When we have the opportunity, and the Katahdin Creek is such a good example of it, when we have an opportunity to experiment with friends who put in mm-hmm. the day-to-day hard grind of running a distillery, that's a ton of fun for us. And the fact that we didn't know what the outcome was going to be when we combined those two 30-gallon Catoctin Creek new charred oak casks into the Colhoman XPX Hoggy, it was exhilarating and worrying, but it held so much potential. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And as we tasted it, and we've described this on the podcast, as we tasted it and we saw it starting to come together and then seem to be farther apart, and then be a complete article and <laughs> and the feedback on it, remarkable. And Foster was an example of that. That felt like an achievement where, where mm. something was done. And, and we've got it with some single batch nation releases where we've said, these casks work together. And that seems like a, a great little project we've put out. And we go back to the very beginning of, of One Nation Under Whiskey, with Mark Watt putting together some small batch releases for Cadenheads. And and he felt like that was a bit of an achievement. And some people would say, ah, but it's not a single cask. What are you trying to hide? This is to the author of this email here, right? You know, whiskey consumers are so passionate about this industry, but they're also so aware of having the wool pulled over their eyes. And Anything that resembles manipulation raises the question, why did you manipulate it? And yet, blends are manipulated. Single malts are manipulated, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like the vast majority of products in the whiskey world are quote-unquote manipulated. Manipulated. Yeah, you know, I think back to the sometime in the the twenty teens, when when Billy Walker still owned Glendronach and Benriach, and there was some word that watch out, Glendronach are taking whiskey and finishing that whiskey in various casks and then releasing it as a single cask. And how dare they do that because what's being released in the end, is it really a single cask? Because they may have married a bunch of other liquid and then put it into various finishing casks. And the question that that I asked immediately was, did you get to taste that final <laughs> bottling? Yeah, I did. Was it delicious? It was awesome. Does it matter? 
in the end, what Billy Walker has done is he has put his thumbprint on on it to make the best Glendronach that he could make. And I would argue that there are others that do that, right? John Glazer does that with the various blends he does at Compass David Perkins, High West. Oh, with Campfire, right? Here's a guy who said, okay, you know, bourbon's doing its thing, rye is doing its thing. What if I introduce smoky scotch whiskey and all of a sudden Campfire, or all of a sudden, Campfire is is created? And what if I marry two-year-old rye with 16-year-old rye? The world's your oyster. You could do what you want. At the end of the day, is the final product a delicious product for the consumer? And if the answer is yes, then that producer, and I, and by producer, I'm saying not just someone who's actually distilled it and put it into cask, but someone who's take that, taken that cast liquid and either finished it in something else or taken various casts and married them together to create something, back to blends, if they've created a beautiful product, what the hell does it matter? And yes, at times, you will get whiskey that's been sitting in knackered wood that isn't doing anything, and you need to turn the ship around. But if you've turned the ship around and the final product is a delicious whiskey, what the hell does it matter? Which, to this author's point, speaks to that purity fetishism, right? When we... When we yeah. get into single casks, yeah. we buy into some of the marketing that that was filled, you know, in, in the 1970s and was laid in yeah. the corner of a warehouse and hasn't been touched in all those years. And now your taste buds get to enjoy that <laughs> when, you know, to the Billy Walker example, warehousemen who do tend to be men um, have gone around re-racking casks. There's a leaker. There's a low fill. Let's not take up space with a cask that's half full or a quarter full. Let's get that liquid moved over. Let's top off some casks that have been losing 2% angel share annually. Right? Like... Yeah. There yeah. was no purity in the industry in the time these casks were sitting in warehouses. <laughs> and yet we now sit in 2022, and, and I think we have for the better part of a decade, imagining untouched casks that were just waiting mm. to be discovered. One thing that the author said that really struck me was once the liquid goes into cask, the idea is you're telling them, okay, (laughs) now don't touch it. Meanwhile, before the liquid has entered the cask, you say, all right, and and so how are you grinding your your barley? Oh, you're doing the 70-20-10 ratio of husks. and (laughs) Okay, that's cool. And, and, oh, is that a Mm semi-lauder mash Mm -hmm. ton? Okay, that's Mm -hmm. cool. And Oh, you're using two different kinds of yeast. Oh, you've got 72 hours fermentation, 160 hours, 48 hours. Hmm, okay, yeah, whatever. Slow <laughs> distillation. I get it. Where's your cup? Right. So you want to know the expertise behind all of this. But as soon as it goes into cast, you're like, don't you dare fucking yeah, touch that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Let them continue to work. Let them continue to perfect 
a, a liquid that goes into bottle that you could buy and enjoy. Yeah, it, it, it was the way they put it really struck me. It really struck me. <laughs> and, and, and then I, and then I think the the tying point on this this point number two about casts becoming available for for store picks. Mm. And, and I think you mm. you'd said this in your answer was there are X number of casks put to the side for store picks. And if you don't pick it up in Wyoming, it's picked up in Tampa, it's picked up in Tucson. I will say that the author moved from a state to, to two cities, but we, we won't hold that against them. I think he just I think they just liked the tea. You know, anything with a T, right? Tampa, Tucson, Tacoma, <laughs> Tallahassee. It sounds like the beginning of a Johnny Cash song. <laughs> uh, Jason, I'm I'm so glad you brought that uh, that email out, and I'm glad that the author was okay with us bringing it up, so long as we didn't mention who they were. Yeah, and there were there were a few. Details I omitted along the way that, that maybe shared a few too many clues, but it was yeah, it was it was excellent. It, I thought it was. Uh, I think listeners of this podcast are the type of whiskey fans, whiskey consumers, and whiskey ambassadors who would want to further this type of argument, and and we mm. know within the nation. We have individuals who are looking for the next wonderful bottle of whiskey, primarily, spirit, secondarily, and mm-hmm. and really want to see what we can put in front of them. And, and that level of trust that we've talked about plenty of times really means a lot to us, but we also understand there's a wider consumer base there that is a little mm-hmm. more leery of what's happening yes. and how are they being treated and how are they being thought I, I, of I guess I kind I shouldn't say I kind of get it I, I do get mm-hmm. it you know it's it's people's money right it's it's their wallet it's their hard-earned cash and they want to have faith in what they're purchasing but I think that it's our job, it's 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 the the industry's job to help educate these consumers to to let them know that you know is is there wool being pulled over the eyes? Are there releases that that maybe are a little questionable? Perhaps, perhaps. I would argue, however, that it that that is definitely the vast minority compared to what is put out there in, you know, the big picture. Think about, you know, when when NAS whiskey started coming about again because there was mm-hmm. this whiskey boom and people mm-hmm. were concerned. Mm-hmm. Geez, that's expensive. Why am I paying for that? Well, there is really old whiskey in there, but there's young whiskey in there as well. And you get to, to taste what that blender that he or she is, has put their expertise into to create a delicious product in the end. You can understand why there was this hesitancy because the Scotch whiskey industry has done a phenomenal job of educating people. 
that, hey, if you like 10 years old, you should yeah, try the 12. Exactly. And if you think that 12 was good, and so exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. think the industry shot themselves in the foot a little bit. And you could argue some of the marketing around single casks has shot the industry mm. in the foot a little bit as well. You know, it, we, mm-hmm. we joke about this now, and, and, and you and I and Jess were just joking about this the other day, but this sense of crawling around warehouses and scrambling over <laughs> casks and getting your clothes uh-huh. filthy and popping bungs, you know, as you go along. It's it's so rich with the imagery, but it's, it's not... <laughs> really the the truth of the matter it definitely happens occasionally once in a while it can be fun mm-hmm. but but I th- oh there, there's still magic right yeah. right there is still yeah. magic i think that's a nice way to yeah. to leave it Jason, this this was brilliant. You know, getting back with you again, starting the sixth season, sharing our conversation with, with David and John, and in this this email that we got from an industry friend was such a joy. And being able to do it over many drams <laughs> of this kilometer, Isla, it was just a blast. You know, I, really quickly, I know you have something you want to say, but I was I woke up this morning. That's what I had to and say. I hit, oh, I heard that. I woke up this morning and and I hit the treadmill and I ran five miles. And and while I'm stretching, while I'm doing my sit-ups, I was thinking, God damn, this this week was a really long week. And I'm not sure if I spoke with Jason more beyond being on an interview with him. <laughs> and and that saddens me. Anytime I don't get my Jason time, it really saddens me. And so I get that. being able to spend all of this time with you, it was time well spent. So it's been an absolute pleasure um, doing that and kicking off this season with you. I'm so excited for what we have to come. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's, it's lovely spending this time together. And I, I think the thing we've said about this podcast a lot is it gives us such a wonderful opportunity to just sit and talk to each other. And the fact that our listeners want to tune into that and listen to us simply talking to each other <laughs> is brilliant. It's absolutely yeah. remarkable. And so, yeah, I love you. I love them. It's a good place to leave yeah. this first episode of our sixth fucking season. So for those listeners, if you love us as much as we love you, please go to (laughs) Apple Podcasts. See how I did that? I thought you were going to go with as much as we love ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) No one loves us as much as we love ourselves, Jason. No one. Yeah, please go to Apple Podcasts and and give us, you know, we'd love a four or five star rating, preferably five. (laughs) Give some kind words. Uh, that, That would be lovely. And, and please, you know, like Jason had mentioned before, you know, our mailbag episode was hugely popular, well-supported, and, and we couldn't have done that without mail. So if you want to reach out to us, please do so. Questions at One Nation Under Whiskey. You can also email us 
info at singlecastnation.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. However you want to communicate with us, please do. We really love hearing from you. And Jason, I look forward to episode two of season six, which is going to be quite the departure from episode one, at least (laughs) from one country to the next and one maturing style to the next, if you will. And uh, so I'm excited for that. Brilliant. So with that said, Jason, I bid you adieu and I say cheers to you. I say cheers to our listeners and of course to David Ferguson and John Campbell. Absolutely lovely time spending with you. Cheers all. All the chins. Cheers. See, I used an actual Glencairn, and you're just using a fucking sample bottle with a glass of water. I was thirsty. Come on. I was thirsty. I don't know what else to tell you. I was thirsty. It's what the kill homans for. All the chins. Someone's a big old jerk, and his name I don't know is why Jason. I, if there are two people here and one of them hasn't hit record, ain't this guy? Ain't this guy? You're like, but I'm one gonna more have thing. to move the. But one more thing. I'm gonna have to move this foil far away because <laughs> I am going to fidget with that. Can, speaking yeah. of, did you hear me drop every, my cork yesterday? No, no, I didn't. But the number one thing, and I don't, I don't edit it out because it very much is a you thing, and I kind of like it. Swallowing Wait, water. No, is this you do? <laughs> you do this. Was all I the doing time. it yesterday? You do it all the fucking time. It's hilarious. Oh wow! <laughs> if if you had asked me just straight up, I would have said I haven't done that in six months. Oh my gosh! It's every episode. Do you not listen to our episodes? You probably don't even listen to our episodes, do you? I'm. I, listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm maybe one behind. Oh. <laughs> you son of a bitch <laughs> oh, You need to listen to my hard work You need to listen to my hard work Here's the thing You know how much I appreciate All your hard work Do I? Perfect. If I was to listen to it It wouldn't change How much I appreciate All your hard work I just I think what you do is remarkable Week in and week out, your commitment to the... Wait a second, this is recording. What am I saying? Uh, don't want that to be an Easter egg. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Pro level. Pro level. Just what? Just quick. Just quick. Just quick. <laughs> you fucking up. Here we go. You ready?